We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know. Welcome everyone to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. It's game week. Hope you're ready. I'm Alan Williams. I'm here with James DiVergilio. We are here to get you ready for the Utah Utes and everything going around the Gator football program. How are you doing over there, James? I'm doing so well. This is this is one of the best times of the year, Alan, especially being here in Gainesville, Florida. You spend a lot of time on campus with your day job. I live right near campus, so I, I just incidentally drive through. On Sunday, I was lecturing to the athletes at UF on investment strategy, so I got to hang out in the Hawking Center, which is where a lot of the uh, academic advising is done, and then in the F Club, where they actually had me giving the presentation, which is underneath the stadium, where if you're a former letter winner, you can hang out there kind of before and after games or during if you're so inclined. But the vibe on Florida's campus is is special each and every fall because there's so much newness. And for the past two years, it has not necessarily been like it is today because we're by and large fully back, right? You, you've, you know, COVID is still occurring, of course, across the world, but the restrictions, the regulations, the vibes, if you will, uh, very collegiate, very what we all recall from our time as college students in Gainesville. And if you're a college student now, of course, you're enjoying this special time, this moment. So it's just so exciting. The dawn of a new college football season, the dawn of the fall in general starts to hit us. And then just the the magic social event that is a football game on a Saturday in the South is about to be upon us. And what an opener we have can't wait to talk about it with all of you. Alan and I are super excited about it. Yeah, a lot we of fun storylines, really cool stuff. So much stuff for you today on Utah. This entire podcast is dedicated just to Utah because historically we don't have an opener of this caliber or if we have in the past, it necessarily hasn't been with this many storylines. So a lot to unpack here. As always, if you like this show, if you like the content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel. We're starting next week. I'll be back breaking down film from the Gators performances and become a patron on Patreon where you can drop us a dono to any amount that your heart desires. Early shout outs here to Carly who will be debuting 
uh, aka the commission her for video editing next week and then b red will be back in the helm next week as well being our producer so looking forward to getting into the swing of things we had a lot of activity in the dono world last week so thank you several new people coming on board the gnfp patron family in the small dono category we have steven croyle pastor chancy and macaulay harnish all of them coming in as new uh, patrons which is awesome welcome aboard we have a level up from pete kelly thanks for your continued support pete and way to level up we appreciate that we have a new large dono from Alex Tucker. Welcome in, Alex. Thank you. And a level up from Ryan and Erica Belmore. Belmore, some of our faves. Yeah, right. Thanks so much for being longtime supporters. Uh, we have an XL dono level up from Dean Zobanakis, who has been clamoring for us to make his hummus recipe, <laughs> which I need we to gotta make. Do it. And we have to compare it to Colton Dahl's cookies, which I, I promised him is going to happen. I feel bad it hasn't happened. We have an XXL dono from Optimotion. Uh, they're an orthopedic practice where they had told me that uh, their colors are orange and blue based upon the Gators and their Gator grads, which is awesome. So we're adding to our illustrious panel of doctors there that support go. the show. And then a hundo bomb Boom. from Kristen Moody. Boom, coming in hot. A level up from Kristen Moody, longtime supporter. Wrote into the show as well. Uh, thank you, Kristen, for all of your support. We're, we're honored to have you. And still on the throne, Alan. Week two of their reign, Cooper and Kylie Craig. Big time. Yet to be unseated. They will preside over the first game of the Billy Napier era. Let's talk some Dono legends. Quite a few here. Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Honderick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, or Kyle Engel, whatever you want there, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Romery, and Craig Scarado. All right, before we get into some of the stuff that happened last week, let's just talk big picture here. Is this the biggest opener in UF history? It's the biggest opener that I am aware of in UF history. Right, if you're not going to go back to like the 40s or something like that. Right, and will be in attendance for in UF history. So for me, this is the biggest opener. It's the one I'm most excited about. I went to the Michigan opener that was in Dallas, but this is a home game. This is against a historically good Utah team at the pinnacle, at the peak right now of their program success level. They're in the spotlight. They're favored to win the Pac-12. New coach in Billy Napier, sold-out stadium, night game. It's really hard to add too much else to this. Oh, let me add something to it. Anthony Richardson, transcendent, super talented quarterback, human highlight reel, right? There's just so much to look forward to in this, Alan. To me, this is the biggest opener it means more for Utah in the course of their season than it does for Florida. But this means a lot to both of these coaches and both of these teams. This is a big, big game. For sure. It's absolutely huge. And, you know, most of the time the Gators open up the season with their traditional cupcake. You know, Eastern Washington would typically fit in this slot. Now, there have been more recently a few interesting games. The aforementioned Michigan game. Opened with Miami and Orlando, which is a very f- weird and strange game all over the place. Lots of messy, sloppy tackling turnovers. Uh, 
And then, of course, in the COVID year, Florida opened with Ole Miss. And that was not super fun. But this carries with it like heightened stakes and appeal, I think. It surpasses all those things. I think both teams are feeling like they want this season to be good. They have expectations. Utah, obviously, much higher. But this is important for the Gators. They don't want to come out of the gate 0-1 because they have to face Kentucky Week 2. So it's a, a non-traditional start for the Florida program. So I, I think for all the reasons you said, plus you know looking forward and setting the tone for the season, both teams really want this, right? Utah has higher aspirations, but for this Florida team to get out of the gate quickly, I think would be really big for them. It, it would be indeed, and obviously no coach wants to lose their first game, and especially at Florida where you're going to get all right. of the record comparisons because most coaches got a, a free start or a free win. Not the case for Billy Napier, who will be facing, again, what we think is Florida's toughest opponent for an opener here in quite some time. Uh, so that's going to be really, really exciting. All right, aside from that, we're going to take care of some news items, go over last week's results, and then jump into all Utah for the entire rest of this podcast to get you ready and set for Saturday night. On the news level, Alan, we did learn today at the presser, Billy Napier's presser, that there will be no depth chart released until Wednesday. Yeah, I think that's going to be standard. At least that's what it implied. It seems that way. So yeah, so, we usually have some comments on the depth chart. We'll not available to us today, but you can check it on Wednesday if they put it in. Again, we don't know how this you know, regime values that. The Mullen one was completely garbage. It meant nothing. So, you know, whatever. I don't know how Billy thinks about it. Yeah, we'll find out and we'll learn the rhythms. But for now, we know we don't have anything to discuss with regards to that. In the past, we would have discussed that. Hey, this looks interesting or that could mean nothing. And we have nothing to say on that because we don't have it. There was that one year where like CJ McWilliams was the starter. And I was like, what? And we talked about it for 20 minutes and he didn't play. Yeah, we were pressing the panic button fully. But for some reason, maybe it was a typo. Who knows? I also wanted to mention my boy, Kyle Trask. I've gotten a lot of questions about this on social media. How's his performance been? How's he doing? I'm reading practice reports that this, that, or the other, or whatever the case may be. Trask will get his time to play quarterback in the NFL as a starter somewhere at some point, and that will prove whether or not he can or cannot do it. Uh, he certainly had several, I think, excellent throws this preseason that you can find for yourself on social media that illustrate why I think he can be a good pro. But like we always say on this show, don't put any stock into practice reports whatsoever. Just don't do it. It doesn't matter. It means nothing. It's not worth reading into. Put a lot more stock into what goes on film in real football games. That's what's going to matter the most. That will decide all of these players' fates in some way, shape, or form or another. All right, big news here the for biggest the podcast. News of all, of this is the biggest news in our history with regards to <laughs> our relationship to you, the fan, uh, listener, follower, video watcher, whatever stature you may have. We are going to be hosting our first meet and greet, really just a social event, just chilling, talking, hanging, enjoying football, the LSU weekend. So LSU weekend, Friday night at First Magnitude in Gainesville, Florida. We are hosting a free event. You can come hang out, hang out with Alan and I, hang out with the GNFP fam. We will be posting a link on all of our social media sites and Patreon. All you have to do is click the link in RSVP, Again, it's totally free. The RSVP will allow us to be able to get a large enough space at first magnitude to accommodate a group of our size. So we're really looking forward to spending time with you on the eve of what we hope to be a big game 
in October at that point in time in the season, but should be really a great time uh, for everyone. You can bring your family, your friends, your kids, whoever you want. They're all welcome at First Magnitude, even though it is a brewery. You do have to be, of course, 21 years or older to drink, uh, but you are all welcome. It's a great spot. It's the if law, you've never James. been, If you've never been, it's a great spot. There's all sorts of just fun stuff there. Good place to hang, good place to chill. So that will be happening 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. October 14th uh, LSU weekend. So you'll, you'll hear about that each and every week on this podcast and you'll have an opportunity to RSVP. Of course, if you're going to be in town, definitely come stop by Alan and I would love to spend a Friday evening with you. All right. With that, Alan, let's cover the week zero results where you, my friend went a perfect five and zero. I feel so honored to just to be here and, you know, bask in the glory of that I'm honored to be here with you <laughs> such a perfect football picker as as the usual I start off the season typically just poorly and then I'm gonna get to know things it helps me but right now you have a nice lead I'm three and two you're five and oh Nebraska versus Northwestern Nebraska takes a lead coming out of halftime into the third quarter 28 17 and the wheels fall off after they Kick one of the more ill-advised onside kicks in recent memory. I mean, this is them every game last year. And they just, they're like, you know, let's run it back. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And so now he's, I, I think Scott Frost is 5-21 and 21 or so in one-score games. 5-21. and 21. And he also <laughs> was so kind to provide us with our first coaching corner of the season. So, Alan, would you have kicked the onside kick? Is there even a reason that you could think of that kicking the onside kick there made sense? You know, I didn't. I wasn't watching the game at that time. I read about it. You know, so I can't really speak to the momentum part of it or what they were showing on film that maybe was inviting Nebraska to do that. I don't mind the aggression. I mean, you're not a great team, and I don't want to play scared either. Like, oh, we got to win this game. We can't do anything risky. But – it did not seem like it was optimal for them. No, I mean, I think the answer is that's a it's a really poor decision. <laughs> yeah, because you have the momentum meter completely full. It's pegged totally full on your side. You've scored twice in a row. You're up eleven. You're the favorite. Your fans are are there's far more Nebraska fans there in Dublin, Ireland than there were Northwestern fans. You're finally feeling good, and then you just you haymaker yourself with a really negative feeling. And I think that's just a colossal misunderstanding of like when to use that tactic. Scott Frost needed to be just basking in and, and really riding with any good feeling he could have created. And he got it and he took it all away. And he compounded his problems by, in the postgame presser, basically throwing his offensive coaches under the bus by yep. saying they're going to have to learn to be more creative. To be more creative at yeah, this, you just hired this conference. those guys. And also, well, you're the head coach and you're an offensive guy. So are you just like along for the ride and they make Seriously. all the decisions and you stand there? So the wheels seemingly have fallen off on Nebraska, Allen. I was a big fan of Scott Frost. I thought he was a, a top three guy to hire during that cycle. I felt like that Nebraska marriage was a bad one from the start for him. It will be very interesting to follow where Scott Frost goes from here if he's able to revitalize himself. If UCF was a fluke. Uh, but I want to talk for a second about Nebraska. Nebraska has one of the most supportive fan bases in all of college football. For sure. However, they are in a state that does not have a lot of football talent, and they are not neighboring a state that has a lot of football talent. So not neighboring also does not have talent within it. 
is Nebraska ever going to be able to regain the relevance they had in the 90s? No. Or is is it of course not. impossible for them because of factors that have changed in the college football world? I think they could get back to being relevant to the college football world. Now, where they were in the 90s where they're running over people in the most dominant program in the country, I, that seems a really steep hill to climb. Can they get back to being respectable? There's no reason they couldn't be what Wisconsin is or Iowa. I think those are two good comparisons. And, you know, challenge for a Big Ten title every once in a while. I mean, they're going to have to get creative about it, and they're going to have to, you know, figure out some ways that overcome, like you said, the lack of natural recruiting in their area. But I think you can do it. I don't think there's a problem with it. And it's Again, it's hard, but you have a completely supportive fan base. You have uh, an institution that is – you know, geared around trying to win football games. Now they're not able to do it right now, but they haven't been abysmal up until this point. I mean, they fired Bo Pelini, who's winning nine games every year. They would take that right now. So yeah, with each coach they fired, they felt like they've gone gotten a little bit worse. And I don't know. I don't know where you go from here. Well, and moving into the Big Ten has done them no favors. Mm-hmm. The Big Ten and the SEC, clearly the two best conferences, and, and that has not been good for them. Well, they're, they're competitive. About be, they're about to be flush with cash, so maybe that does something for them. Sure. I mean, they're competitive, right? That's the thing. They're not getting blown out. Sure. You can't you can't play 26 games within one score and not be competitive. But clearly you'd have to think this is going to be the last year for Scott Frost unless he can pull absolute magic out of his hat and start winning all these close games to have a really solid record this year. And that's just a really the worst possible look and start for him to kind of blow a lead like that, not be able to score a single point to get back into the game to tie or win. Yeah, losing to Northwestern and Ireland in a vacuum is not that big a deal. Sure. But just compounded by the fact that this is basically the way you lost every game last Right, year. and they were 13-point favorites. They right. were perceived to be further along than where Northwestern was. But look, Northwestern is Northwestern because Fitzgerald is a phenomenal coach. True. He, he does he does more there with less than most coaches do in the rest of the country. All right, Wyoming took on Illinois, where I foolishly thought Wyoming could stay within a 10-point spread. They got beat like a drum, 38-6. to Any commentary here? No. Get get out of the Brett Bielema train. Don't get in front of that. Don't get in front of it. He's gonna look. We said when he got hired there, it's a great hire. They're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be a decent program. And for Illinois, that's all you can hope to be. I believe. Duquesne took on Florida State. There was zany weather. Almost nobody was there. It was sort of a classic sad state of affairs for Florida State right now. Perhaps all that water gun practice with their punter helped. Given the weather, they were ahead of things. But Florida State took care of business here, forty-seven to seven. Good for them. Nevada, uh, nine-point favorites on the road against New Mexico State. And to New Mexico State's credit, they were much more feisty than the New Mexico State of all, but they did lose 23-12. True. We, you thought this would be closer, but we both went with the Wolfpack, and that was the right choice. Right. And then Vanderbilt. Wow. We talked about Clark Lee. We talked about how everyone will be talking about Vanderbilt, and they're going to become the best program in the country. It's only a matter of time. Well, the one-game result doesn't look too bad. A 63-10 to drubbing of Hawaii where, I mean, they looked like an SEC team playing a non-SEC team. But to your point, this Hawaii team is in the midst of an incredible rebuild. I mean, yeah, they're in the bottom of the basement. They're just struggling so hard right now just to even keep their program 
together. So good for Vanderbilt. I mean, they were only favored by seven in this game. And that's how you want to look if you want to someday be competitive. Yeah, I think if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you're thinking maybe this Clark Lee guy's not so crazy. There we'll follow Vanderbilt this season and see what happens. But they did look a lot more competent. And again, like you mentioned, Hawaii is not the Hawaii of old. So there's there's things to look into there. If you have not seen the Manti Teo documentary, by the way, you need to watch it. That's wild. Uh, anyway, Daytona Steve returned, also a wild man himself. And he <laughs> continued his losing ways. So really... <laughs> Just fade Daytona Steve, and you can become very wealthy. He was two out of three this past week, but unfortunately, Utah State, although they beat UConn, did not cover, and his small parlay for week zero did not win. But don't worry. Stay tuned for the end of the pod when he has a week one parlay for you, which is appropriately named Scared Money Don't Make Money. And so Daytona Steve is not deterred by the fact that he has not been able to get on the winning train just yet. All right. With that, Alan, it is time to discuss Saturday night's showdown in the swamp. Let's prep you for Utah. Okay. Let's start before we get into the coaching staff and stuff. What do you think of the biggest question marks are? Let's, let's talk about coaching staff and players. So for this particular game, what's the biggest question mark you have for this staff entering the, into the game? Now, there's probably a lot, but what's the one you would highlight? I think the biggest question is, were they able to install what they wanted to install? And what I mean by that is let's let's give you two choices, two paths, right? Path one is they get their entire install done. Here's our system. Here's how we play defense. Here's how we play offense. And then Thursday of last week when they start prepping for Utah, the players have the base system down so well, their prep for Utah is entirely about Utah. There's no issues with how we're going to handle covering a bunch set or how we're going to cover twins or how we're going to cover a stack or whatever. That's path one. Path two is you complete your install, but really as coaches behind closed doors, you're saying we're not really where we want to be, right? We're still having issues operating our base defense, base offense, getting our communication correct, identifying certain situations. If that occurs, then you enter into your Utah prep and you're prepping for Utah, but you're also still trying to deal with some more basic stuff, right? So to me, that's the biggest question. I know from seeing on film that this staff can really teach football. They can really coach football. It's not a matter of whether or not they can get these systems to do well or be well. They can. I just don't know if it's ready for week one. That's the biggest question I have. And that, I think, is a really important question for them. So there's a culture change that has to happen, right? So part of that is execution install. The other part would be the way they want to affect the team and execution wise, like discipline. Right. So this is where I would like to see how far have they come with this? Are there appreciably less self-inflicted errors? This team was riven by them last year. We had no toes left because we shot ourselves in the foot so many times last year. It was really frustrating whether it was a plague of false starts, not getting lined up offsides, whatever you wanted. These penalties that, aren't because you you held because you got beat by the defensive end or I got a little handsy with the wide receiver or something like that. These were penalties that just don't need to happen, especially at the rate they were happening last year. And so I'm interested to see how, how far they've come with this team. Is this team a unit? Are they disciplined? Are they together? They know what they're doing, right? Not just like, okay, this guy, they don't, they can't open up the whole playbook yet. Maybe the install isn't fully complete. Maybe not comfortable with everything, but are they effective at what they're 
calling. So does the coaching staff know them enough that they're going to call the stuff that this team is capable of running? All right, what about on the player side for you? I think for Florida, it's who is Anthony Richardson in this system. And I think this system favors his skill set tremendously, tremendously. But he hasn't had the backing of a coaching staff until this offseason. He hasn't had really just an unencumbered, you're the guy on him until now. He's going to be the unquestioned leader of this football team. How does that look? How does that feel? So I think without a doubt for almost everyone heading into the swamp, all eyes are going to be on 15. And how does he behave? How does he handle this? How does he look? Uh, what is his demeanor? Can he rally the team if things aren't going well? Can he can he keep the team charging if things are going well? Is he fiery? Is he is he laid back? Is he emotional? Is he is he stoic? We're going to learn a lot about him on this Saturday night. Is this is again unquestionably his team? He's he's the kind of guy that the defense and the offense look to him as the guy. That's the kind of guy he is, and so we're going to find out a lot more about him. On Saturday night, I think on the flip side, we're going to find out how good of a leader Ventrell Miller is. Hmm, I think as a player, we've talked about him. He's he's limited in some respects, but he is he is known for generally being in the right place. He's an excellent run stopper. He's a guy who really knows the system. He's played a lot of football, and I think on a defense that's going to especially at the linebacker linebacker position and in the front seven in general is going to have a huge huge task in front of them stopping Utah's rushing attack. I'm going to be interested to see how well he's able to lead on the field there as the Mike linebacker and get Florida lined up and execute Tony's scheme correctly because that's going to be essential if Florida wants to have a chance to win this football game. That's great. I was going to talk up a little bit about the run defense, but for me, the the unit I am still have the biggest question mark around in terms of what is this going to translate to is the offensive line. Now, we project them as being a potential strength for this team. If they are... Florida all of a sudden is a much more dynamic team, a much more solid team, what they want to accomplish play to play, keeping Richardson clean, opening up holes in the run game. If they're not, and Utah starts to dominate the line of scrimmage, then this is going to be a long, long day for Florida. Now we're going to get into some of the specific matches, but anything else that you're really interested in watching? I'm going to pause for that because the, the there are lots of things, but they're going to be matchup-based. But I think outside of matchups, outside of football, I'm really interested in watching the Florida crowd. Mm. It seems like, and we we chronicled this, it seems like in the past couple of years that the student section at Florida has been on the rise. The level with which they pay attention, the noise they make, they've sold out their allotment of tickets this season. Yep, good for them. The hype on campus seems to be very high for football again. So I'm really interested in seeing if the Swamp takes on more of the the vibes of the swamp of old um which we had seen glimmers of and flashes of and i think that's something worth watching because florida's not florida without a swamp that's full and ruckus and something that people leave saying what bama said last year which is i don't really care i've been in every stadium there's something different about how that stadium hits you and i hope that happens on saturday and that's 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 one of the most fun things about about football season is really the home environments. And so that's something worth watching, man. That's right where I wanted to go with this. So great job. Yeah. I think where this lands in the school year, it's first full week of class, a lot of room for anticipation. Is there a heightened 
kind of atmosphere there. It's a night game. Everything's on the table for this to be a really amazing crowd. Hopefully that translates onto the field. And the other factor I think that people have been talking about is the Florida weather, the humidity. Right now, it was like I think looking the other day, it's projected to be like it's like ninety five percent humidity on Saturday. You know, it's at it's at night, so there's going to be less. It's not going to be as brutal, but that still can suck the life out of you. So there's a big question mark here: is how much do you think the humidity will affect Utah, which is coming from the essentially the opposite environment as Florida? That's a great question. Since I've gone first on these, I want to give you the first crack okay. at it. See where see where you're going to take it. I think this is potentially a huge factor in this game. Now, if Utah is just significantly better, then it's not going to matter. But if they're in a real dogfight here, and it's as humid as I think it could be or want it to be, this could really suck the life out of them. If you haven't been in North Central Florida in September, there's really not any prep. You can't go like, oh, it's hot, or we're going to like, you can't really simulate it over that length of time. So I know they've been doing things to try to prepare their players, but I don't think there's any way that they can actually do that. And that could be the story of the game, honestly. If they are dragging in the fourth quarter and just done, I think a lot of that could be contributed to the weather. Now, again, Utah could just beat the brakes off Florida and it not really matter, and maybe they're a little tired. But overall, their schematic and you know experience advantages are just too great. So I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's the factor, but I think it could be a factor. There's a lot to unpack here. Napier at Louisiana and here has built his identity on his team's winning as the game goes on. True. That's that's part of what it is. If you, if you go into the indoor practice facility, there's several of like the classic coach speech words, and one of them is is finish, and it's in like font size 350 on the wall. And it basically says something like, you know, to to utterly destroy, annihilate, like, you know, just crush your opponent. Like, think of all these final finishing words in the fourth quarter. And that's the kind of identity he wants to have. A killer instinct, but really like a let them know that physically you can't play with us. And you also can't skill or talent wise. So I think when you factor in the mentality of who Florida wants to be, the environment of the swamp and the weather, it's sort of the perfect factor for Billy to test his own team and to see if his recipe is is ready to work right now in week one. I think if you're Utah, if I'm Kyle Whittingham, I'm not super worried about the humidity. I'm, I'm going to give it like a 5% factor, largely because nowadays, as long as you keep your players hydrated appropriately, they shouldn't necessarily suffer there is a mental aspect to what you're talking about. It is a level of just sweat and, and uncomfortableness and, and heat that can push you further. But really, Alan, I think with this game being a 7 o'clock kick, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I put enough sports. I've traveled around enough that even people that are out of state, if they come in and they start a night game in Florida, yeah, they sweat a lot. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But it's not 1 p.m. If this game were at 1 p.m., I think that weather could have been the entire story because it is unbelievably hot right now. It's 100% humidity, and 1 p.m., it's almost unbearable for anyone to be outside, let alone to play football as a running team for three and a half hours in the swamp. But I think this 7 p.m. start takes a lot of that off. It will be a factor. Don't get me wrong. I don't know that Utah 
would look at this one day and say, we lost because of the weather. I do think they could have said that had it been a 1 p.m. game where their players in the second half were just like, look, I I don't have it. I, I, I just can't. I can't possibly be ready for this environment. I'm thinking maybe not as much as people are making it out to be. And well, you might be right. And this will te- test their depth a little bit because they're going to want to rotate guys, especially against a team like Florida. And do they have the guys to be able to do that? We're about to get into the talent portion here and comparison. And on paper, it's steep. It's steep. It's really steep. And that's why Utah is a three-point favorite and not a 10-point favorite. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about them. The coach, Kyle Whittingham, has been there forever. One of the most long-term and I think underrated coaches in college football, laboring obscurity there in Utah, finally breaking through. 18th year. 18 years. I mean, he yeah. took over for Urban, Urban Meyer. Yep. And think of all that's happened in Urban's life in 18 years. And then here's Kyle just calmly and quietly chugging away. And he's brought them to a point where they're competitive with the best teams in the country. And doing that at a place like Utah, we just talked about Nebraska. It's not like Utah is a hotbed of college football talent either. But he knows how to recruit to that area. He knows how to get the most out of his players. They are a team that's not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to beat them. And that's a daunting task for a team like Florida who is at the beginning of this process. Again, we talked about if this game was a game 11, I would like Florida maybe a lot more or think they have a better opportunity. This is a tough, this is a tough spot to be in for them. But as we said, talent wise on paper, there's a significant advantage for Florida. So Utah has 15, five stars, UF has 35 plus a scattering of five stars there, right? Yeah, so 15 four stars for Jeez. Utah. Because if they had 15 five stars, Sorry, 15 it'd be a different four program. stars. UF has 35 four stars plus a few five stars. I mean, on paper, again, that is not a comparison that looks good for Utah. But we've seen this team compete and play well. And again, there's always guys who overperform their ratings. I mean... Some people would be tempted to look at this and be like, well, you have clearly should be winning this game. But if you watch a team as talented as Florida last year, when it went off the rails, they were capable of losing anybody. They almost well, lost to freaking Samford. So that that alone cannot tell the story. No, it doesn't. And I think a lot of Florida fans, that's the first thing they want to tell me. And I'm sure they want to tell you the same thing is we're so much more talented than them. I said, right, but you have to look at which we're going to look at their personnel and see how accomplished their mainline starters are personnel wise. And also really understand that Utah sends four to five players to the NFL every couple of years that are that are starter level players in the NFL. And they're four stars. So they hit really, really high on their four stars and they count on those guys to basically be their starters. If they miss on a couple of those four stars, their program will fall behind. So that's the max they can recruit to your point. Utah's not Nebraska partially because they play in the pac 12 true, put them in the big 10. They're going to be at a talent disadvantage for most of their games. Utah's actually at a talent advantage in half their games in the pac 12. That's just how different it is in that part of the country. And that's why of course us as sec fans always tend to look down on other conferences it the talent's not the same but when you walk through this you're going to see how well this football team is put together across the board and obviously when you've got 18 years of program building your culture your identity how you play football it's a machine it's a machine that they have running really really well and they can compete with anyone on any given day 
but it is a fun example too of if you have to get stuff out of your talent, right? It's not just recruit 50 four and five stars and play against schools with 15 four stars and automatically win. That's definitely not how it works. So in terms of returning starters, 13 for Utah, eight on defense, five, eight on offense, five on defense. I guess there's a little bit of discrepancy here as Utah's own website says they have 17 returners. And yeah, I put that in here because when you determine national, when national media determines how many starters you have back, they look at who started the most amount of games. And Utah says 17 because they had a lot of guys who started a lot of games last year. A little bit disingenuous because they had some injuries. So those guys did wind up starting a good amount of games. But I think truth be told, especially on defense, that number really is five. And we're going to unpack why that I think is going to be one of the major keys to the game on Saturday. So returning production, 67% for those guys. Florida, 14, six on offense, eight on defense. Which is more than maybe you recognize. But here's the problem with Florida. Yeah, least returning production in the SEC. Yeah, least returning. So 55%. So not a lot of either tackles made or yards or receptions or whatever you want to look at. That's very, very low. Even nationally, it's low. And that's another challenge for Billy to overcome as he's got a lot of new people he has to count on to produce for this football team. And yeah, eight returning starters on defense. But as we talked about last week, maybe that's not a number you necessarily want considering the output from that unit. All right. Uh, the other notable names here on the coaching staff, Andy Ludwig is his fourth year. Was it Vandy before that? He's the OC. Morgan Scaly? Scaly? Not sure. Been there for seven years. It's 15th overall at Utah. So you talked about the cohesiveness there. Been there a long time. And yeah, when you think about the turnover of Florida over the last 18 years, it's hard to imagine that kind of continuity. It's amazing, really. And, and they're sort of a, like a Clemson light in that regard. And obviously that speaks volumes to, to Kyle Winningham's just ability to retain coaches for the culture he builds, for the stability he provides in, in an era where there's anything but that, that, that these guys want to stay there. They want to coach there. And uh, obviously they've had a lot of success. All right, let's move over and talk about Utah's offense, right? The biggest two names here are Cam Rising, the quarterback, uh, first team pack 12, 20 TDs, five, picks last year and Tavion Thomas their running back who is essentially the star of their team first team pack 12 as well thousand eleven hundred yards 21 TDs those are the two guys that get by far the most like national notoriety some really nice guys on their team a couple offensive linemen who are all pack 12 and a few tight ends as well their uh, tight ends are, yeah. are excellent I think many people this season would say they probably have the best tight end duo outside of Georgia. Georgia, of course, recruits the best tight ends like every single year and they're locked in, but they're right there. And when we unpack their numbers, they are super productive tight ends. So this, this offensive group you're hearing multiple of them are are first team or all pac 12 teamers. Uh, A lot of standout players there led by, as you mentioned, a running back, uh, Allen number nine and Thomas, who's as good as Florida will see this year. Really, really solid running back, especially in their scheme. Right. Super productive, very efficient. You know, I guess Queeth and Kincaid, their tight ends. But that that probably headlines their group. Their wide receivers are there's not a lot of notable names there. Did you anything that you gleaned from watching them? I think that's kind of the key on offense is they're they're heavy, heavy, and again we'll unpack the scouting report, but they're heavy 
uh, tight end, running back, dominant, with the receivers being a satellite. So it's a little unusual in that regard. And, yeah, and well, the receivers are sort of mix and match. Could they're, be similar a little bit to Florida. Correct. And they lost their guy last year. Their, their number one guy in targets graduated out. And so they were they were like him and then the tight ends. And, and really after that, it's, it's, it's a lot of committee. So I think they're hoping some of those guys will step up. But their receivers are veterans. There's two seniors that are going to wind up starting at the, at the X and the Y. And so I think we know what you get out of them, which is stability. And I think that's what they want out of them. And we'll talk about, again, their scheme as to how they're trying to get that. But if there is on offense in Achilles' heel, their wide receiver group is 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 part of it. And, and that will play into how teams have defended them successfully as well when we get to that. Right. Uh, solid guys, but not the game breakers that uh, normally would affect the defense. And that's what you'd maybe expect from a program like Utah where they would struggle to have those guys naturally. And so maybe one of those guys becomes that, but that's not been what they've shown so far. No, they do have good size though. They're, they're two starting receivers. Well, two of three are six, three and six, five. They got a wiggly guy at like five ten, but they have good size. So you'll see good looking, tall, uh, lengthy receivers out there, but they don't quite have the ability to win one-on-one matchups. And that's going to play again to how teams I think defend them. Let's hop into the scouting yeah, report please. here, Alan. And then, and then let's just look at what Utah does. So heavy run team, if you've never watched them play, 57% run, 43% pass, but they're very effective. Uh, last season, they were 13 in points per game. They were number seven in points per play. If you're going to run the football, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for high impact because you know you're not going to be throwing the ball as often. You have to have a high impact per play. They were number two, Allen, in the whole country in yards per rush. Those last are amazing year. stats. Number two. They were also number two in sacks allowed. So the offensive line very very potent thankfully for florida their starting center and their starting left left tackle are both in the nfl right now so if you're thinking to yourself did you just say center i sure did and if you're thinking road game in the swamp with a new center that has not played a lot that's correct that could be a huge story alan we have seen florida have its own struggles with new centers on the road in noisy environments we've chronicled that before multiple times You'd have to think that's going to be one of the hardest starts for a center in college football ever is to come out of a, a dry climate into a humid climate, have to snap shotgun, have to snap under center, snap in a noisy environment like this. So that's a big plus for Florida. Their offensive line is well recruited. They can reload. It is something they put a lot of stock in. They run the ball really well every single year. But again, this is not the same old line as last year. So let's take that as like point number one in the scouting report. Number two, of course, is that they graduated their most targeted wide receiver, but then in reality, their tight ends are the bread and butter of their passing offense. Allen, their tight ends caught 14 of the 24 passing TDs last year and had 40% of the overall targets thrown their way. Yeah, that's really that's a interesting. huge share for tight yeah. ends. I challenge you to find that on any team anywhere because you won't. So a significant amount goes to those two guys. Uh, Allen, they also line up and a lot of bunch sets, which allows those tight ends not to have, they're not just lining their tight ends up like Rob Gronkowski and letting them go one-on-one. They're going to line up relatively tight to the line of scrimmage, where if you play man, they're going to want to try to run a rub or any sort of advantage they can give that tight end just to get a little space to get them open. And really one of the stories from last year was their quarterback Cam Rising. So if you don't know the narrative on him, he didn't start the first few games they lost. He comes in and really they're a different team after he, starts playing um very effective guy not your prototypical 
probably quarterback in terms of like size and arm strength and stuff, but very effective. When you watched him, what did you see? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's solid. I think his arm strength, he had a shoulder surgery before the year started. He lost out in a close competition, then obviously took the job over in week three and then, and then played throughout the year. But he was a, a top 10 pocket passer recruit, a four-star guy. So again, for them, it would have been a bellwether yeah, for recruit sure. uh, out of California was at Texas and transferred in, but he's solid. He's solid. Good footwork, good runner, makes good reads, throws the ball on time, accurate guy. Uh, he's not spectacular, so there's a difference, but he is solid, and he, he moves safeties with his eyes. He knows the system in and out. He runs what they want him to run very, very well. He's very efficient, very effective, does not turn the ball over hardly at all, uh, and those are all things you want in a quarterback in the system. So I think it's a match made in heaven for him, this system and how he plays it. He has a great grasp of it. Uh, and he's dangerous because of that. His 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 stat lines tend to be, again, very, very consistent. I think the question for him is he still has not faced a defense the caliber of Florida's on paper. He got to face Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, but Ohio State was playing without four or five starters out. They didn't care about the bowl game. You know how that goes. They were half checked out. It was an ultra-high scoring affair where ultimately he got knocked out of the game, unfortunately, in the fourth quarter and couldn't lead a comeback attempt to win that one. He played great in that game, but I'm not going to put any stock in that bowl game for the reasons I mentioned. The rest of the season, he was he just shredded everyone with the exception of one team, which would be Colorado. So let's take a look at Utah's passing offense and see what we can uncover. Uh, 20% of Utah's passes are behind the line of scrimmage. 28% are from zero to five yards. So that makes 50% of the passes Utah throws five yards or shorter. They're getting the ball out quickly, and then they're going to use play action to attempt to throw deep. They are not going to ask Rising to take a five- or seven-step drop and try to just naturally throw into a third down and 10 situation. They're typically going to try to short, 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 get a second and short or even a third and short, go play action, send two receivers deep, keep it very safe and very simple. He's very effective with that. But again, Utah, very short passing offense. Therefore, how would you want to defend Cam Rising? Well, he struggled against man, and he struggled against cover four. He generally does very well against everything else. The one team that seemed to pick up on that pretty well in the Pac-12 was Colorado. Colorado lost 24-13 to to Utah. It was a close game well into the third quarter. And on film, they picked off Rising once, almost picked him off twice, and generally made him relatively uncomfortable by playing a lot of man and loading the box to stop the run. Uh, and I think that is the the right formula to stop Utah in general. You cannot allow them to run the football. They spend a staggering 45% of their snaps, Allen, in 12 personnel. One running back, two tight ends. 45%. I told you earlier in our breakdown of Napier that he loves 12 personnel. He runs it 33%. 45% is unimaginable. It's incredible they spend that much time in that formation, but that is the identity of Utah. That's the identity. They're not going to go no huddle. They will go under center. They'll use shotgun. Rising will run the football. He's an effective runner. You're right. I think that's the surprising thing is like he will get you. He's a better athlete than you're going to give him credit for. 100%. A, a and, he will, and he will get you, and that's something Florida has to look out for. And so, therefore, what I'm describing here is a multiple-threat offense. But their offensive line on film, Allen, just pushed people around all year long. Gaping holes, big runs, gap runs. 
No team had success stopping them running the football. So that's a tremendous challenge for Florida. I think at the very least, you want to be Colorado, where you allow those runs to occur, but you get in the red zone and you do not let them score anything other than field goals. Because Utah does struggle in the red zone. Rising himself struggles against goal line passing offensive situations. That's where he's not quite as good as maybe you'd want him. Now he's had a whole offseason. He's a young guy. He's only been started for a year. He will be better this year than he was last year. But that's a look at the scouting report for Utah. There's a lot of stuff there. And then my favorite, which I saved for the end, of course, is the directional throwing. Because this is another fascinating guy. (laughs) He did have a shoulder surgery. I myself had a slap tear in a labrum, so I know how this can be. But he's excellent throwing the ball left. Excellent. 10 touchdowns, no picks. Over the middle, he's by far the weakest. And to the right, he's also also decently weak. In comparison to the left, he is a phenomenal left-throwing quarterback. Watching on film... It wasn't like they were necessarily stacking their formation where they would always have a solo receiver on the left and they're getting one-on-one matchups. He just looks more comfortable throwing the ball to the left. Is that something for this game? If I were on the coaching staff, I would definitely attempt to to use that early on and see what happens. That's I so think, goofy, I though. think it's something you want to do. I think some people are more comfortable throwing across their body than they are throwing open. Uh, but for what it's worth, he's one of those guys that shows that shows some some stat correlation. I mean, this there. is so funny that the first time we read this, I was like, "That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard." And that's not always like you know, borne out that it was the most significant, but it has several times. Which oh, it is has. weird. It can again for some guys. It's just a it's just a thing they don't throw it as well. So what should Florida's defense? Yeah, so do? that's the question. Right? Yeah, so I think everybody knows. Okay, you're gonna have to stop Utah's run. Right. I mean, easier said than done. Florida hasn't typically done a great job of this with this personnel. Now, again, you have Ventrell Miller back. You have some different guys on the defensive line. Anything else that you're going to put forward here other than, hey, just stop the run? Well, you have the, you, hopefully the coaching staff has the biggest difference. We, we've talked about being yes. ready for the snap. We've talked about filling your gap correctly. We've talked about using leverage. We've talked about making sure that you stay on the outside and set the edge. All these things that make for a good run defense have not occurred at Florida in several years. Hopefully that will be on display in this game. It will have to be on display if this game if Florida wants any chance. The biggest question mark, of course, for Florida, to your point, is I can say you have to slow the rushing attack down, which you do. Florida's linebackers are going to have to make an impact in this game. Certainly. Because if the D if the D tackles and DNs do their job, they fill the right gap, they create the right leverage window, that means linebacker has to shed a block. He has to. That's how it works. He's got to get off a block and make a tackle, or your safeties have to make enough tackles to limit damage when that doesn't happen. If Florida's linebackers cannot get off blocks and they're currently getting chucked into the, into the area Utah wants to chuck them to, you can forget it. They're going to they're gonna gash us for that five or six yards per carry they want to gash us for, and it's going to be a long, long day. Secondarily, I think Florida has to pay extra attention to the tight ends. That means they need to live with Utah throwing the ball outside the numbers vertically, and they need to die on that hill. If I'm Tony, I'm going to give you vertical throws outside the numbers, and if you beat me, my hat's off to you. You deserve to win. But I am going to load up the middle of the field. I'm going to load up where you want to run those routes to your tight ends, and I'm going to make all of those throws very congested and very difficult. Now, Tony likes to use a lot of simulated pressures, obviously. He likes to use a lot of creepers. This sets up well for disguising when you're going to play man. That's one of the best things you can do against a team like Utah is not let them know when you're in man and when you're in zone because Cam is very, very good against zone. 
But again, those creepers and simulated pressures, and a creeper is where you're going to bring a different person as your four-man rusher than what you think. So you might line up with four defensive linemen, one D lineman drops back to play a zone, and you send a linebacker. So you're only sending four guys, right? Tony likes to say sound on the pass side, but this will be a good test for him because, again, if you don't fill the gaps correctly, your pass defense is not going to matter. They're going to have your way with you. But Florida has got to die on the hill of trying to stop their short game and force them to beat them over the top on the outside. That's their weakness. That's what they don't want to do. You got to make them do it. Good luck trying to make them do it. I think the staff knows that's what they want to do, at least in previous times, Alan. And this is my final comment here on what Florida's defense should do. I have a high degree of confidence that on Monday, next Monday, I'm going to come in here and say that what Florida did on film made sense strategically. I don't expect myself to look at the film and say, wow, what the heck are we doing? It's more likely that we do the right things and they were still able to be successful in spite of it than what we've seen in the past, which is a mismatch tactic or a mismatch strategy. I don't think that's going to happen. And that makes me excited because all we've ever said is we want to watch football where the players decide the outcome. As a coach, you put your player in the right position and see if they can do it. Hey, can you cover that guy? Hey, can you stop that guy running the ball? Can you shed that block? Can you hold your gap? And I'm really hopeful we get to watch that and evaluate that on Saturday. And again, Florida's just a significantly tall task here right out of the gate. Yeah, the chess match is is what is the right diagnosis for this problem? And can you get those players in the right position to do it? And can you get guys like Brenton Cox to set the edge and play within himself? I think everyone on the defensive line is going to have to be disciplined. And, yeah, are they able to withstand this? Now, again, Florida doesn't doesn't have a lot of thumpers at linebacker. Outside Ventrell Miller, they're built to stop not this kind of team. So what do those other guys do? How do they respond? Who sees playing time in this game? It'll be interesting to see who the staff turns to because if they have to play more than two linebackers, they even have three guys that they like in this type of game. This is fascinating. You're right. Because I think before we'd be giving up just give me throws to rising all day. And he'd just be taking our lunch money and guys would be lined up inexplicably, you know, 10 yards off. And it's like, okay, we're just going to run this like five yard slant a hundred times on you. Or I don't know. The tight end is just running free on the wide side of the field. I'd like to think this coaching staff looking at a team like Utah can diagnose and get our players in the right position. We'll see again. First game, but better off, right? Than what we have been. And I'd love to see them challenge Utah. If, if it's, if you can beat us over the top and that's the way it has to happen and they do that, you know, hats off to you. I'd love to see us in that type of game with our corners and with their wide receivers. Can we get it down to that? And can they do it? And, and I think that's, that's the matchup to look for yeah. is, is Tony should feel comfortable playing cover one. He should feel comfortable disguising that cover one as the cover four or vice versa. It's very easy to interchange those two. And the hard part here and this is a really hard part, is if they're going to stay in that 12 personnel and we don't have enough linebackers, traditionally you need at least a linebacker to cover a tight end competently. Well, if we don't have that, you're screwed because you can't throw a DB in there and let them run the ball down your throat every single play. They're not used to playing on the interior. They're not used to run stopping. That is not a good plan. 
So you highlighted, I think, the major fear I think Tony has right now is what do I do for half the game when they're in 12 personnel? How do I stop their run? And then if I'm stopping their run, can my linebacker cover them and pass? And if he can't, what do I do? They don't run tempo. They'll let you sub, which is nice. But how do I address that? Because Utah is a relentless team when it comes to playing the numbers. And they're going to they're gonna skew on the side of running the football. So the good news is Colorado is willing to call their bluff, third and four, third and five. We're going to load the box and bet you still want to run. And they would still run. Tony will do the same. But again, to your point, it's a huge day for linebackers in this game. And this is that's we've highlighted it. We think that's the worst position group of Florida. So on defense, I feel great. I think you look at it and think safeties and corners check. We'll bottle them up. We have no fear of their wide receivers getting loose. Covering their tight ends with our DBs, we have no fear of their tight ends getting loose. But we can't match up our DBs on their tight ends all the time because they'll run the ball over us. So it's a real challenge for Tony to craft something that goes in between those two, keeps Utah off balance, doesn't tip Florida's defensive hand, and allows them to do enough, I think, with limited pieces to slow this Utah attack down. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to watch them adjust to that. And again, uh, this is a game for linebackers, and maybe we're surprised. Maybe we're going to say that these guys played out of their minds and there's a whole new group of linebackers, and we're excited about it. I hope so, right? This yes. is a game where if you had Hopper, you feel a million times different, and that's the impact one guy can have a linebacker. All right, hopefully we won't have to say his name anymore. All right. Utah's defensive personnel, a few notable guys here, especially in the secondary. Uh, number one, Clark Phillips, All-Pac-12. Number four, uh, Travis Broughton, All-Pac-12, or 2020 All-Pac-12. He was injured in 2021. Their safety, Cole Bishop, All-Pac-12. And someone along the defensive line there, Junior Tafuna, number 58. Their defensive tackle is a Pac-12 freshman of the year. And one last defender of note. Number three, Mahmoud Diabate. I guess I don't need to tell you if you're listening to this program. Former Florida linebacker. Now at Utah. And a crazy storyline back in the swamp for his first game with the Utes. Yeah, crazy story indeed, right? What are are the odds of this situation? So Florida loses Hopper, loses Diabate. We weren't too sad about Diabate given how often he had struggles of his own. And now Utah, here's their storyline. They lost two linebackers to the NFL. They had to replace both of them. They're replacing six Allen of their front seven from a defense that was really good last year. Right. Six of their front seven. They are returning almost their entire secondary, which is the strength of that defense unquestionably. But you've got to think, we talked about Florida's strength. You talked about this earlier. Should be their offensive line. Florida's strength should be their running backs. Florida's strength should be the athleticism of Richardson. Facing a team that's replacing six of their front seven and is playing on the road, and one of their unquestioned starting linebackers is Diabate. Yeah, and Diabate, and deployed, he's a nice player. Deployed Don't get me correctly wrong, can be a really good player, but that's a that's a that's a tall ask there because Diabate has been in a camp only with these guys for a short amount of time. These players have no cohesiveness together playing a game in a real battle. So there's a lot to like. This is a difference from the Florida defense. The Florida offense now, if you're Napier, you're thinking, hey, we're facing a top seven team here. 
But I want to run the ball. I want to be a power running team. I want to be a zone running team. I want to stretch you wide. I want to throw the ball vertically. And you're missing six of your front seven. I use a lot of motion to confuse that front seven. I think he has to like that a lot. I think he's got to really like that a lot with this matchup versus Utah's defense. For sure. And the question mark of how we're actually going to deploy Richardson how much we're going to run him. You have to play him as a threat to run. Even if we decide not to run him hardly at all, they have to go into this game expecting that we will do that. And if they don't prepare for that, they're going to get burnt. So, so much attention is going to be on him. Eyes in the backfield. What is he doing? Is he taking off? Is he scrambling? That's really going to have to hold those linebackers. They're going to have to play disciplined and smart. That's such a huge advantage for Florida the unknown of what exactly Anthony Richards is going to look like playing. Yeah, that's then you mentioned it. There's the biggest advantage for Florida. So Florida coaches can pop on the Utah film, and it's totally the same, right? We could watch Utah for the last four years under different quarterbacks, different schemes. Everything is the same because the scheme would have just changed to fit the player slightly. But the identity is the same. The plays are the same. You know exactly what you're getting. You can roll a Louisiana film, but what we said still holds true. Who Napier's coaching at Louisiana is not exactly going to reflect who he's coaching at Florida. He can do more. He can do different things than he could basically not do there. And there's a big unknown quality there. There's also a huge unknown quality with what Anthony Richardson looks like in this kind of system. But I can tell you that other defensive coaches are going to be worried. Because anytime Florida's going to run a lot of 12 personnel on their own as well with two tight ends that can go out for passes, that can also take a, a tight formation in the field and create it create a wider set depending on where they go which creates a lot of space for the quarterback where if you dive in the wrong lanes and you're committing seven or eight guys into the box and you've got guys playing man behind it you're in trouble Utah plays 33 percent man in the secondary that is a really high percentage now man defense is ideal if you're a running quarterback it's what you want because obviously, if you can beat the front seven, the DBs have all their heads turned their way down the field, right? Secondarily, Utah likes to bring pressure a whopping 27% of the time. It's a very high pressure rate. They want to bring pressure. They want to play man. Well, if those things work, they work really well. And Utah's defense has been top 10 in a lot of categories for many years now. They know what they're doing. But there is a risk-reward of that, again, against an offense like Napier likes to run, play action-based, if you can time things up correctly, vertical passing threat, supreme athlete at quarterback that you can chunk big plays off them there so on film utah's defense is very sound they're multiple they mix up their looks they do not give you anything static they know what they're doing but replacing six of their front seven could be the storyline for this entire football game if florida wins yeah when you think about utah you think about these big stout defensive linemen active linebackers and they have they have some of those guys still you we mentioned you know Pac-12 freshman in the year he's kind of in the line of of some of those guys that they've had that's really interesting because you think about continuity but that's a lot of guys to replace across the front seven I wonder how many times that has happened to them where they're having to replace that many guys all at once and I don't know uh it makes me smile thinking about Richardson just loose in the middle of the field running by guys. Now, I don't think Florida's going to use him as a hammer 
right? Maybe they will, where he's just Dan Mullen style, QB run, QB run, QB run. He will run the wall. They're going to have to deploy him on that. I wonder if that's going to be more by design or more by scramble. We'll see. And I like Florida's running backs potentially in pass matchups against their linebackers. Just that they're new. They're going to have to be keeping their eyes in. Are they able to stay disciplined? Whereas I kind of cringe when we're talking about the defense a little bit. This is where you kind of perk up. If Florida's offense could be something that is going to win ballgames for them, this would be this would be a great place to show it against this Utah team. It would be. And football is often correctly described as a line of scrimmage game. In the past, we've come on the podcast and talked about how, especially with Trask, that we, we could have lost a line of scrimmage and still won the game, which he did, right? I think this game, in its overly simplified form, is really going to come down to line of scrimmage. Both of these teams, their identity is built on controlling it. Now, again, I'm going to say it many, many times. If you're really worried that Florida's offense is like some sort of old-school Michigan offense where you're running the ball in the I formation straight down the team's throat— And you're going to pound it, pound it, pound it. That is not what this is. Florida's offense is a wide zone, inside zone, 49ers light, dynamic, vertical threat offense. It is based upon running, but it is not the old school pound between the tackles, three yards in a cloud of dust situation. But it is a shift from where we've been. It is going to look different. It is a different chess match style. And these two styles are very interesting against each other for an opener, uh, to say the least. All right. Anything else you want to note on the defense or Florida's response to that? No, I think, I think quite simply, if Florida can't win a line of scrimmage, it's going to be a very long day on offense as well. Okay. A few categories here. Special teams, most likely advantage Utah. They've had a hall, a, a strong history of excellent special teams and all pack 12 kicker. Which carries over from Urban. Right. I mean, Urban, right, emphasized special teams there, and Kyle Whittingham kept it the same, and, and they've kept it more or less that way. They, they weren't great in some areas last year. Um, they lose their best kick returner, which is important, but their kicker was, again, all Pac-12, and I think Florida has all question marks on right. who's kicking for them. Of course, you have to get the advantage Utah So there. just, yeah, yeah, not decided. There's a lot of question marks on both sides, but clearly if it comes down to a kicking game, they've got a guy who, you know, is, is an all-conference guy, and we have a guy who hasn't done anything yet okay of course penalties turnover margin time of possession are all unknown haven't played any games yet no real injuries to speak of at least that the staff has put out there and i i don't know i don't think we're going to get the uh same day suspension announcement that was a you know a typical dan mullen thing Hopefully not, Hopefully right? Not. I was going to ask you about that on suspensions. We have that here because every year we get two or three guys that are suspended for some situation that, you know, happened. We've heard right. no rumor or scuttlebutt about that no. yet. And, and we have no idea how the staff wants to handle that, but I guess that could be the case. If, if you've gotten suspended, this would be your first opportunity to show it. Yeah, we'll find out, I guess. Uh, note on Jaden Hill, a guy I mentioned as a potential breakout player, even though he was known uh, many of you have correctly brought it to our attention that Jaden Hill is still not taking contact reps with True. the team. And uh, I was aware of that when I made the pick. Uh, however, it does seem like, I will say, as another week has gone by, that that injury seems worse, obviously, to be this far along and still not. It's lingering. Right. And that's what I had mentioned, that, that the big caveat there was 
if he's not the same person he was before, then all bets are off. Um, Florida's deep there, but just just a note to mention that yes, you will most likely not see Jaden Hill on the field on Saturday, given that he's taking no contact reps now with the team. To our understanding, are we ready for predictions? I can't believe we're here. We're on the we're on the precipice of a, of a prediction here. We've made it through the long off season, and we're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so why don't you go first for your keys to the game? All right, keys to the game. No surprise. I've already said it. It's going to be on both sides of the ball, rushing yards. This game, I think, is you can boil it down to one simple thing. Who rushed for more yards in general? That, I think, will decide the game almost as a virtual certainty. So my key to the game is going to be to win the rushing battle. I think more importantly, I think if Florida wants to win this game, without it being like a true coin flip ending, it it would need to decisively win the rushing battle. And the same, I think, is true for Utah. If you go in that battle by 100 yards or so or more, I think that's probably a comfortable win for that team. Um, we'll see what happens. But that, that is the key to me. It's going to be on both sides. Win the rushing battle. Win the lineup at front seven. And the team that does that better, I think, is going to win this one. So to give a number, as we do that, I should yeah. say that. I'm going to say Florida on offense. We should want to rush for more than 200 yards to be able to have a chance to win this game. And then on defense, I think they would want to hold Utah to under 200 yards rushing. So that 200-yard number is going to be my number. I like it. Uh, I have a similar thing here. Wanted to say yards per carry, which is, you know, for the offense, Florida offense, uh, looking for a little bit more efficiency. Um, I don't have a, like a firm number if we can approach like four and a half yards per carry i think that would bode well and then the other thing i would say for the offense is the number of catches by the running backs like if i feel like naquan Wright specifically that could be a big advantage so if he's able to get six to seven catches that means that that's a weakness that we're exploiting um and on defense Let's say, well, I don't want to say yardage or number of receptions here by their wide receivers. Are we bottling them up? Um, let's say less than 100 yards by their wide receivers total. Okay. No mention of their tight ends there. Tight ends can go wild. Well, they're going to do stuff. Okay. But I'd like to see that. If we can really limit that, that means we're probably bottling them up everywhere, potentially. Okay. okay. I got it. I like it. All right, then it is time for a prediction. I've struggled with this all week. I've gone back and forth. You know, I like the humidity in favor of Florida. I like Florida's offensive line. There's so much going on here. Ultimately, it's really hard for me to pick against such a veteran team and program as Utah. And what does this game really look like? down the stretch like is florida able to keep it together mentally emotionally again there's a lot going on there's a lot of newness how many mistakes are we going to make those are some bad turnovers my gut says here this is probably going to be a florida loss but i think it's gonna be close and so i'm gonna say 31 28 utah it's a good pick uh, that's going to put your season total then at nine and three for Florida. Yes. Nine and three. Okay. We talked about that last pod. 
I am also going to pick Utah to win, uh, and I have them winning 24-20. And I think that this is a coin flip game. It truly is a coin flip game. And do I think Florida can win? Absolutely, 100%. They can definitely win this game. But to your point, Utah is a seasoned team. They have a bunch of guys who performed at an all-conference level that is much weaker than the SEC, but it also means those players have a lot of experience. They have a lot of cohesion together. They're 18 years into a program for Kyle Whittingham. Utah traditionally is not a great road team. That helps in Florida's favor. Um, but I think this being game one, the install for both the offense and the defense, a significant new culture change, so many new things going on. It's a huge hurdle to overcome a really competent team like Utah in game one. I think the mere fact that Florida is only a three-point underdog, I think, speaks volumes to what people think about Napier's ability is to— to make sure Florida is a competent football team. I think that's part of it. And then, of course, the second piece is the talent. But like we've chronicled, our talent, although could really come together, has not been playing cohesively as a unit in this system at all, or even just in general, right? So Florida's coming off a bad season last year. To turn it around and, and beat Utah would be an excellent, excellent first win. To lose close would be an excellent first showing, even if Florida's more talented. You and I are clearly both expecting a very competitive game, which would be a good start for Napier. Uh, but I think, like I mentioned, Alan, if Florida's linebackers weren't in the state that they were, I'd feel differently about this game. Most importantly, though, this is a game of entire unknowns. Although I can watch film from last year, it's not film from this year, right? This is the hardest pick I make each year is the most unknown one. We've seen nothing on either team. We've seen nothing of Napier here at Florida. We're speculating across the board on what we think this might look like. We feel this might look like anything could impact this game. But this game should be a really close, well-fought football game. And I think if nothing else, part of this loss, probably for both you and I, is that it's hard for us to imagine Florida winning. I had them at 8-4, and four and somehow I'm also now at 9-3, and three, right? When you look at the schedule, you have to pick coin flips to lose. Picking which ones you're going to lose are difficult. Florida could just as easily win this game and lose a different one. I think the reality for Florida's team is this season, I want to say this, is a lot of these games are going to be coin flips. It's hard to pick which one. But if you're thinking, oh, man, I can't believe Allen and James both think Utah is going to be Florida. They don't believe. That's not it at all. I think we think Utah's a little bit further ahead. But also, Florida has basically just as good of a chance to win against Utah, if not better, depending on what your vantage point is of where Florida is in the, in the install phase and everything. I think else. that's a great point. Yeah. I think we both pick wins against LSU. You could flip those easily flip those. Yeah. And for good reason. I think I was somewhere between eight and four and nine and three. And then when you look at the way the schedule breaks, I felt a little more encouraged to pick on the higher end. Yes. I, I think Florida can win this game for sure. And the way we've talked about it, when you get to the end of these games, really what pushed me over the edge was veteran teams make the plays at the end often. This is like when you watch the NFL, like what's the difference is that they, they're a little bit better, a little bit better coaching staff, and the game comes down to the end, and it's not a coincidence that the better team is going to win more close games, right? So I don't think they're going to be in awe 
of this Florida team. They just played US or just played Ohio State, excuse me. Um, they're ready for this. I, I, again, they could get bowled over by the humidity, but I don't think they're going to come in in awe of Florida. They're they're a big time program right now. Yeah, they are, and that's what makes this game just again so fascinating. Is it's it, I just think if if anyone out there thinks they know what's going to happen and they feel that way definitively, it's almost certainly a hard pick. You know, I think Utah fans feel like Florida's underestimating them because we're overvaluing our talent. And I think Florida fans feel like Utah is underestimating Florida because we're Florida and it's the swamp and we have AR and all these things. I think all those things could be true. And I also, it's also possible to me, Alan, that one of these teams runs over the other one. True. It's less likely, but it is possible. Like it's possible for Florida to go out there and roll Utah. That's a real possibility. The home crowd, the momentum that gets going, a new coach. I mean, it could just become a frenzy, especially in game one. So this is what makes game ones really interesting and also really dangerous. And there could be some, there's always some big overreactions. Correct. Right. By the media, everything. I mean, Florida could win this game and then lose five more. Correct. Right. Because of the way the schedule breaks and how many, like you said, coin flip games there are. There's that Notre Dame, Texas game a couple years ago where I believe, I can't remember which team won. It didn't really matter because they both end up being terrible, but it was like Texas is back or Notre Dame is back. Right. And that this could be a Florida is back type game, even with any kind of like win. And it could be a little bit of a mirage just because of the circumstances of the game. But I think if you're Florida, you really don't want to get run over. Like that, that is an outcome I think that would be really debilitating for the next week and the weeks to come. Staying close to Utah and being competitive Utah, I think would give them the kind of lift emotionally they're looking for. And wouldn't be like catastrophic in terms of the morale of the team. And obviously a win was, you know, takes you to a whole nother level. But <laughs> it feels weird to say just stay close. Don't get blown out would be a victory for Florida in some sense. And I'm not a big moral victory guy. But I think at this point in the narrative of the program, that would still be of a lot of value. Yeah. And it all depends on how Florida loses. You know, if we kick an onside kick inexplicably with a 10 point lead and cost ourselves something, maybe you feel differently. Not everything goes the same, but, uh, but yeah, man, in my heart, I really wanted to pick a win and watching film. It's like, I can pick a win watching film. I don't see something that scares me with regards to Utah, but you mentioned it, the consistency, the efficiency, they know what they're doing. They're comfortable doing it. Florida's not going to show them something that they've never seen before. that They're not ready to handle that's what gives me the the lean to them in a coin flip game. But everything within me is like, I can't believe you're not picking Florida here. Napier's my guy. I've got the coach that I love, but I think it's wise to recognize the challenges that exist right now to beat a team like Utah. And look, I mean, I want to come in here next Monday, Alan, and talk about a Florida win and how I'm just stoked about what I saw on film and how Billy is everything we want him to be. And I can't believe how quickly he got this install in. I want all those things to be true. It's why I want to pick a win. Uh, but Perhaps it's a nice emotional hedge to pick a loss. <laughs> that way, there you go. if we lose, it's not it's not going to be like, oh, man, I was so sky high. But I'm really excited. Can't wait to, to witness it in the Swamp on Saturday. It's going to be a ton of fun. All right, with that, we'll do a hard transition into HelloFresh, which is America's most popular meal kit. With HelloFresh, you get a farm-fresh, pre-proportioned set of ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip all of your trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make your home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. We mentioned last week we had our resident dietitian 
give us a full breakdown on what she really liked about it. She rated the convenience as a 10 out of 10 and then listed a whole bunch of other benefits amongst them. Just generally, the meals are really flavorful and easy to clean up, easy to manage, and you have a full menu of options to choose from. If you yourself want to try 16 free meals from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash GNFP16 and use the code for up to 16 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash GNFP16. All right, Alan, we have a fun segment you've added this season. I'm looking forward to this one. This is going to be good. Right. So there's something known as like a win total, right? If you're in the gambling verse here, uh, that that would be how you would think about like a program's future. How are they going to do? What's the expectation? Are you, how are you, how would you bet them? So just, just for reference, Florida's number is seven. And obviously you and I would both take the over in that. Probably yeah, pretty love, comfortably. Love that over. The injury is the risk here to right. Florida. If they're fully healthy, I think that this is in, this is over seven. You're winning eight, nine, maybe even ten. Uh, if they're injured, all, all bets could easily be off, especially if Richardson gets injured. Then that's why this number is at seven. So we just cherry-picked a few te- teams here that we're interested in. We'll, we'll both make a little selection here. Uh, the first one, our SEC East mate, Tennessee, they're at seven and a half. What do you like there? So I should say that neither of us are pulling up the schedule and going through each one of these because that would make this a lot better as sure. an exercise. But in order not to make the podcast an extra 30 minutes longer, we go through this. We're going to sort of wing it based upon what we know. I have looked at Tennessee's schedule, and obviously I love their offense. I, I still think that they're a year away from being where they need to be and they themselves have a lot of coin flip games this seven and a half number though it just it really is like mm, it it begs me to take the over because i think eight is maybe where they're going to wind up but i could that's that's brutal i'm going to take the over on them largely because i just all of you know how much i want tennessee to be relevant again i'm going to go under here because i think I picked florida to beat them if that's true i think that's where they land is at seven wins i think it's possible yeah and I don't know. I'm just not quite buying the hype on them yet. Yeah, they're, they're not ready wrong. yet for sure. That that's that's true. Okay. Georgia at ten and a half. I'll go first here. Slam dunk for me. Over. Feels okay. like did you look at their schedule? There's not a lot of games on there that are gonna be super challenging for them. No, their schedule is very, very favorable. It's hard to see them not going over that number. I agree. They'd have to they'd have to slip up in a spot where you'd be really surprised they slip up in. And I think for that reason it's it's worth going over on UGA. All right. Southern Cal, USC at nine and a half. I'm going under here. And I know it's a soft pack twelve, but USC still has a lot of issues on that roster. And Lincoln Riley is a phenomenal coach and that offense is going to be really explosive and again, favorable schedule in the Pac twelve. But nine and a half for a team that's just been so messed up. I think nine is probably the number we're going to get to, or maybe eight. Nine feels better. This half point pushes me to the under category. For sure. This feels like a pretty confident under. They're talented enough at a few key positions, especially quarterback, where they could push for that. Like you said, the schedule isn't that daunting. But I feel like that's priced really high. So it's pretty easy for me to take the under there. 
All right, this is a really intriguing one here. LSU at seven matches Florida here. We both went Florida over. What do you think about LSU? Something about the Brian Kelly fit at LSU just still does not feel right to me. And this this coming from someone who really respects Brian Kelly as a coach and have said all along the job he did at Notre Dame was a really good one. You know, now he's he's built them into a, a program that maintained strong relevance and now Marcus Freeman is really taking them over the top with recruiting. We'll see if he holds up his end of the bargain coaching. But I I don't I just don't know. Something about this whole situation doesn't feel great with LSU. And for that reason, I'm going to go under until I, until I learn more about what that's going to look like. Are are we allowed to pick a push here? Yeah, you can, why not? Sure. I feel like this is the number. I mean, it's over under is the game, but if you want to play that way, (laughs) well, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the (laughs) tag, you know, the fair enough. All right. Um, We're going to go push. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Seven's a number. That's fair. All right. And keep in mind, this is the regular season, right? This does not count a bowl game. Okay, Allen goes push. Fair. <laughs> it's, it's very specific. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. All right, Miami, eight and a half. What do you think? I mean, I'm going to take the under here for sure because it's crystal ball and I just don't trust the guy. I don't. I, Miami's roster is not there yet. They're doing a great job of recruiting, but it's not there yet. They are playing in the ACC. There should be a lot of automatic wins on their calendar, but I don't love it. Yeah, I mean, people love the quarterback. There's a lot of hype right now. Of course, there's a lot of hype. For right sure. Now. And I, I I like the under here, too. Um, again, they could win nine games in the ACC. I think that's certainly They possible. can. Oh, that's that's a good – eight and a half is a good number for them. I I, I think it's going to be eight or nine. Is the, That's that's where we're at. All right, another coaching change here, the opposite of USC, Oklahoma. They're also at nine and a half. Brent Venable's there. So – this is largely the conference they play in. They lost some significant contributors thanks to Lincoln Riley's departure. No one has any idea what Venables, the head coach, is going to be like, but Oklahoma historically is a buzzsaw that wins and wins and wins. And I'm just going to bet on Oklahoma, the brand, being the buzzsaw that wins and wins and wins, and 10 wins should be achievable. Mm, I'm going to go under here. That 9.5 really like saved me there. I, I could see them getting to nine pretty pretty easily, but there's a lot of stuff going on there. I think they'll be solid. I don't think they're going to take a huge step back, but that's a lot to ask. Okay. Their rival, Texas, at eight and a half. Future SEC members here, Oklahoma, yeah, Texas. these two right here. Man, the SEC is going to be stacked. Um, I'm going to go under here with Texas. I, I don't believe still in the Texas experiment there with Sarkeesian. And therefore, my bet has to be under. I'm agreeing with you here. I thought about going just the opposite of you here of Texas with your Texas curse. That's um, true. I, I should note that. Yeah, I can't believe you actually joined me here. That seems like well, a really I just bad I'm not a believer either. And I think eight wins would be a lot for them, considering where they're coming from last year. I don't believe in him either. I think they're going to have a, a tough road. I think the. Big 12 has a lot of decent teams in it. And this is a team that lost to Kansas last year. So, you know, I don't know how much we can really count on them. Not at all. That's why I'm under. Man, this one I'm super intrigued by. Texas A&M, eight and a half. What do you think of Jimbo's team this year? I think this is the hardest one of all of these. This could go like a barbell, I feel like, in a lot of directions. I, I don't. 
I don't think this A&M team is ready yet. There's a lot of hard games on the schedule. Do they get to nine? I just don't know. I don't know. I'm going to take the over here. I don't feel great about it. I'm going to take the over solely based upon the talent they have on the roster, even if it's a little premature for me. I'm still going to I'm going to take that to win nine. All right, I'm going to go under here. It just feels like they're an eight and four program. I agree. That's what I lean towards. I'm banking the extra game on a young guy making a hero play here and there. Okay. But it's tough. There again, you put that same A and M roster in the Pac-12, and they're like consensus favorites to right. win the, the win SEC the West. Is just it's ridiculous. Brutal. It's crazy. It's crazy. And if they won ten games, I wouldn't be shocked. I'll say that. Correct. That's the thing. Is but it, there's a lot of there's a lot of coin flip games. Same problem. Florida and every other school has in the SEC. All right. School at West. The criminals of FSU at six and a half. So Florida State returns a lot of their production mm-hmm. from last year. They have just seen, they seem like they are in such a bad place. Everything about it feels so bad. It seems incredible that they would win seven games, given how messed up this stuff is. But, I mean, you look at their schedule, there's a lot of friendly teams on that schedule. But then again, you get a feisty NC State. You get Miami. Do I believe in Mike Norvell? Nothing he's shown me at this stage seems to be good. Recruiting's not going in the right direction. There's no buzz around their program. It would be relatively surprising. So I'm going to take the under on that six and a half. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to take the over. I think they get to seven, um, just barely. I mean, they already got one. They do have one. That was a freebie. That was a big freebie. So I, yeah, not confident in them. I don't. I don't feel like that's a big boost of confidence for me. But to get to seven wins with that program doesn't. Shouldn't be massive. And they, they started to play better towards the end of last year. They did. No, they've, they've gotten better. That's like what we're saying. I mean, it's just everything. They, they got, to, they, you know, they were almost bowl eligible last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. As much as I want Tennessee to be good, I don't really care if Florida yeah. State's good. It's kind of a funny difference. Like, I, it just is. But it is, it is, it's nice to be where we are in Florida right now, where our program seems to be wholly competent. Well, look at those over-unders, though. contrast to FSU. They're at six and a half. We're at seven. There's not a lot of difference there. Well, if you put, but you put us in the ACC, we're probably at eight and a half. That's true. There's a big difference in conferences here. Great point. Either way, I'd much rather be Florida. (laughs) Yes, agreed. (laughs) That was a nice game. That was solid. I'm surprised you didn't put Utah on here, by the way. Anyway. Well, there you go. You can do that for next week. Yeah, I think Utah's at nine and a half as well. Maybe 10, but I think nine and a half. Either way, they are the Pac-12 favorites. That's what matters. All right, it's time for playoff predictions, Alan. We do this each and every year. We get to revisit it in the midseason. It's always great before the season starts to predict what you think is going to happen. I can tell you that I caught Desmond Howard's yeah. predictions over the weekend. What? Can you and I have for? never seen a more crazy thing in my life than what he had on there. And I can't even recall it. But we were watching it, and we had to like, stop it and look at each other because it made no sense. Like what are these four teams that he's yeah, talking about? Yeah, it was like about? four, like he had, he had no Alabama. I don't think he had Georgia either. He had like A&M, a bunch of other crazy, Michigan, he had Michigan in there? True. He had some crazy stuff going on. He did. I think he lost it this offseason. So I don't know what your picks are going to be, but I'm excited because maybe you can outdo Desmond. All right, I'm going to start with, I think, the two obvious ones that are probably almost in everybody other than Desmond Howard's Correct. top two, which mm-hmm. is, 
Alabama and Ohio State. Yeah, that's me too. So we'll go ahead and I lock mean, those in. Bama just feels like they're set up for a monster run. Bama is it's almost impossible to like figure out how they don't get there. Right. Correct. And Ohio State, I think, is similar. I mean, they did lose to Michigan last year, but seemed like they made changes appropriately. They have a new defensive coordinator. They're always loaded with talent. So much talent, yeah. Much more than Michigan has. And so it's hard It's hard to pick against them. Agreed. Uh, this will give you a little whiff of my over-under totals here, but I'm, I'm going to pick Utah to come out and be a playoff team. I think there's going to be a lot of two-loss teams. I think Utah can get in as a one-loss Pac-12 champion. And their schedule's super favorable. I yep. think that's a big reason why people like Utah as that playoff team. It's largely schedule-based, so fair enough. And I got a little... Desmond Howard Flair here. Are you ready for this one? I'm, I'm not. I'm excited already. I'm going to take Baylor. Wow. I really like them. I like their quarterback. I, they're going to be feisty. They're very well prepared under Dave Aranda. Look, Dave Aranda, Dave Arnada, a guy I used to it. call Arnada all the time. Don't know why. But Dave Aranda is the real deal. We loved him at LSU. We loved that hire for Baylor. That's uh, a nice little dark horse there. Yeah, I just don't think... The other one that was on the short list for me was Georgia and then Clemson. Clemson, yeah, of course, they they could run over it in the ACC, but it just feels like they have enough question marks and they lose a couple games here. Like, again, I think there's gonna be a lot of two loss teams, it could be a big clumping of there Maybe. that you end up having to choose some weird playoff teams. But I'll start there, okay? I like it, that's a lot of fun. Um, that's a lot of fun for Bama because they would beat Utah and Baylor by a million points, so I think they'd be all about that. And then face Ohio State in the final if they face either one of those schools. So they'd be they'd be down with that. I'm going to give them a more challenging path. Okay. And I'm going all chalk because I think this is the season of chalk. I think if you tear out the talent, there are four, school, four schools that have way more talent than everyone else. Clemson you could push. Maybe not way more talent. But I think Clemson, I'm going to buy the narrative that last year was an anomaly and not a trend. And if this year it occurs, then there will be questions. Well, losing both coordinators i mean they're they're in a, there's a lot of questions they're in a weird spot i still think that a lot Dabo, of talent on i think line. i think that program was still Dabo. I'm, I'm i'm buying that i think he's a figurehead but i also think that he's he's built a system there they also play in the acc which i have little to no respect True. for and again look if it happens if clemson underperforms again this year significantly there will be a lot of questions for a guy who's won so much which is crazy to think that that could even be possible but there would be because you can't, you really just can't fall off two years in a row. Ohio State wouldn't do it. Bama won't do it. Georgia's not going to do it. And they were still fine last year. They were just I terrible on offense. Dumpster fire for them though. Yeah, really high level of underachieving. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go just super boring with Georgia, who I think easily is going to go undefeated in almost all likelihood, and then lose to Alabama, and then still get in the playoff. That's an extremely likely scenario for them in a million different ways. I mean, you could have their roster take injuries, and there's a million ways that team goes undefeated. True. And then I think Clemson is very questionable. So I wrestled very hard with Utah as my fourth because their schedule is just so favorable. They face USC, and they face Oregon, and you know, Dan Lanning there at Oregon. What's he going to look like? What are they going to look like? Well, they crushed Oregon two times in a row last year. Is Dan Lanning enough to change that result? Maybe. 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 And then they have USC. Is USC ready for this? I don't know if they're ready, especially on defense in year one for that. Maybe. But outside of those two games, it's like win, 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 win. I mean, it's like layup win mode, which makes this Florida game really important for Utah, Allen. 
because if they lose this game, it's really hard for them it's to imagine them for sure. making it to the national title. Now they unless could, unless they win every single game out, and they could do that. And which I think, they can, and that becomes a lot harder. Especially though. if Florida is a good team. Correct. That becomes a lot harder, I think, for them. So for that reason, I think there's too many issues that Utah has, even though their schedule is favorable. If you removed the Florida game, I think I'm all on the Utah train, like schedule to layup, give them some other cupcake. Clemson's schedule to me just seems more manageable. They have more talent. They can handle more issues if they get injured. But all chalky, super boring. Yours is a lot more fun. And I love Baylor. Baylor is a great and fun pick. And I think I think a school that people are still really sleeping on. I think a lot of college football fans still don't even know that Dave Aranda is even there or who he is. It's still sort of like some somehow way under the radar. And Baylor is still like an Art Brio school somehow, some way. It hasn't fully set in yet, I think. So I did pick Georgia. I picked their over. You did, which I'm going to ask you. That was my next question to you was how exactly are they not in the playoff then? Well, that they might lose a game, lose to Bama. So you think they come in with one loss? That That's that's fair. That keeps, is that what, that's what keeps yeah, them out. That, yeah. That, I can't that imagine would. them losing three games. Well, but that's still right. But that's also, that's the other trick though, is do you, you're assuming Utah has one loss. That's the key. Cause yeah. Yeah. Because you're basically assuming everyone else has two losses. Right. Because otherwise the two loss Georgia team is getting in. Yes, over other yeah. two loss teams. Yeah, especially if they have a close loss to no Baylor. Baylor. Baylor be undefeated or one loss, and Utah. I think a two loss Georgia would most likely get left out over one loss conference champions. Especially if Utah has a win over Florida. I think that that like I said, that becomes important for them. It does. That's why this Utah game is. It's. I think you could argue. Here's a big statement, Alan that this Utah game could be the biggest game in their program's history as far as what it could unlock for them. So last year you had a Pac-12 championship. You hit new heights, but you've hit those heights. So now you're at that height level already. This game is like the gatekeeper. This is the door to what you want. If you don't win this game, that door is probably shut. Yeah, most likely, but it, it opens up. A lot more avenues for them if they win this game. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I think you could look at it as like this one game unlocks the world for them, essentially. It's huge. So, again, adding so last to- last year you midseason were like, no, I didn't pick that for them. I went back and looked and you did it. I Just did. making sure you're locked in here. I'm locked in here. That was, yeah, this is locked in. I feel good about this. Okay. I feel there's, a, there's I looked at all the schedules to make sure I wasn't going to mess myself up this year. Um, because, again, we all know that I tend to be more of the analyst after the fact than the one to research everything ahead of the yes. fact. Yeah, that's not my thing. But all here, right. I'll die on the hill. But I like your picks. Yours are more fun and colorful. I love the Baylor pick. That's glorious for so many reasons. And they play in a soft Big 12. Or Big 6 or 5 or whatever. Whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about week one. We start off with some Thursday night games. The backyard brawl. West Virginia at number 17. Pitt, who's favored by 7.5. Well, this is the battle of USC quarterbacks. Slovis suiting up for Pitt, taking the place of all-world Kenny Pickett. And then in West Virginia, the former USC, former Georgia Bulldog national champion, JT Daniels. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. Pitt, obviously the better program, training in a better direction here, but how much of that was an NFL quarterback being on your roster? I don't know. We're going to find out. But I like the battle of USC quarterbacks here. I'm going to take West Virginia getting seven and a half points. Man, 
I'm gonna join you there. I don't feel good about that. Actually, let me switch it. Let me take let me take Pitt. That's a nice choice. It's early season. You should generally pick against me. That's a wise move. <laughs> oh man. Um that's gonna that's a fun game on Thursday night. I like that. I love it. I'm excited about it. Another potentially fun one on Thursday night, Penn State, favored by three and a half at Purdue. There's some people who are liking Purdue this year. Penn State, if you're a believer in James Franklin, who has a massive contract. Can you get them to 10 wins this year? How are you feeling? Penn State's trending in the wrong direction for me. On the road, they're more talented than Purdue. Purdue, feisty, fighting for every square inch they have here. This burnt me with Nebraska, but I'm going to do it again with Penn State. If James Franklin wants to at least be the guy he should be, which is a guy who wins 9 or 10 games and doesn't win a title, but that's kind of the guy he is, he has to win this kind of game again. If he doesn't, I think there's going to be some concerned people in Happy Valley. So I'm going to go with Penn State here. I'm going to go with Penn State here, but I would not feel confident about that at all. Yeah, I don't like it. Definitely not betting on anything that's related to Penn State or Franklin right now. All right, one of the preseason darlings, NC State, ranked number 13 coming in with their quarterback, Devin Leary. They're favored by 11 in a strange matchup here playing at East Carolina. I'm processing that, and I I love it. Like I, I love it. Like I want I want Florida. Let's let's go play like Coastal Carolina <laughs> or something awesome like that. Like because at why, Coastal Carolina, yeah, why not? Sure, wouldn't that be fun? Like, why the heck not? You know, so good for good for them pulling a move like this. Of course, I think when they scheduled this game, NC State was not on the rise like they are now. Does 11 feel low to you? I mean, it if, does if, feel if low. NC that's why State's, it's on here. That's the thing. If NC State is is riding the hype train like they should be, then they better win this game by 11. No disrespect to East Carolina. I think East Carolina might be a little frisky this year. They are. Sure, of course. But I'm going to have to, I mean, I'm going to have to take, this is probably dumb because that crowd at East Carolina is going to be like a classic. It's like playing basketball in a tiny little gym where people are going nuts. It's going to be a moment. But I'm going to I'm gonna take NC State here. This could be foolish. 11 points is a is seemingly a, a bad number, I think. Yeah, people like NC State this year. I'm intrigued by them. This should be a game where they cover. And again, this would there's enough voodoo around this number for me that I would not take it where I gambling man. But I'll, I'll stick with the Wolfpack. Okay, there we go. <laughs> a really fun line here: North Carolina at App State. Another one of these kooky games here. This is even. This is a pick'em. North Carolina looks nice. Their new quarterback slinging the ball all over the yard responsible for one Chris Musgrove beating me <laughs> in a daily fantasy challenge uh, for college, which is a lot of fun. Um, so Drake is the guy's name through five touchdown passes. Looked nice. I don't know what to think here, but I know that App State is really happy that Billy Napier is no longer coaching at Louisiana. And I think they're going to ride their high of happiness and get a win here. So I'm going to take App State. I'm going to join you there. I just have a feeling there. North Carolina has been disappointing. They have to replace Sam Howell, like you said. I mean, I don't know. They were playing like FAMU last week or something, so I don't know how much really to put into that. At App State is really fun. If this game were North Carolina, I would probably pick them. But that's a fun one. Okay, Memphis at Mississippi State. I believe Mississippi State is favored by 15. You know I'm taking my boy Mike Leach here, hands down. But this is a tricky opening game against a Memphis team that is competent every year. Yeah, I like them. I like Mississippi State here, too. It's a fun matchup. I mean, we want another SEC game on the slate here just to track what's going on. No one's really playing anybody. No, this is the best one of these in 
Yeah, Mike Leach, I think they're going to throw for a billion yards. And so I think by the they end should. they rack up enough. It's going to be like an arena league football game for sure. All right. This one's this one's great. I can't believe this one's on. There's some week one stuff in here that is so much fun. Number 23, Cincinnati at number 19, Arkansas. Arkansas favored by six. This is so much fun. I am selling Cincy hard this year. Okay. And that's that's no reflection of Luke Fickle, who I think is a great football coach, and I'm surprised he chose to stay at Cincy and a lot of surprising decisions there being made, in my opinion. But they just have so much transition this mm-hmm. year. I think they'll be great again next year. Arkansas is on the rise. They're feeling it. This is a major environment for them to head into with a lot of newness. Arkansas, a powerful, physical team is going to beat you up and abuse you on the line of scrimmage and, and take advantage of their size and strength. I like Arkansas on this line by six right here. Me too. I love Arkansas here. I, I agree with you completely about Cincinnati. I think it's a lot of respect for them that they're ranked 23rd as a program, losing kind of the guts of their program and Desmond Ritter and, and Sauce Gardner. Yeah, I think this will be a – they're not going to roll them, I don't think, but Arkansas feels like they're juiced right now. Cincinnati also, you know, they kind of had their mountaintop moment. They don't really need to prove themselves anymore. They probably still do in some sense feel like, hey, we, you know, we have a chance to play one of the big boys here. But our, it feels like Arkansas is probably the one, hey, we get to play a playoff team from last year. So, yeah, it's a fun matchup. I like Arkansas a lot. I think they're going to be a fun team this year. And there are people who are picking them to finish third in the West. I mean, that was kind of this consensus. And so if you're good enough to finish third in this SEC West, I think being the Cincinnati team should be – within your grasp. All right. This is a wild line just because the, the numbers next to these teams, number five, Notre Dame at number two, Ohio state, Ohio state's favored by 17 and a half. Yeah. That's the thing we talked about this earlier that the talent level of the top teams is stratospheric this year. I love Marcus Freeman. I wanted him to be our defensive coordinator. We talked about how we should have fired Grantham and gotten him. He's, ascending as a recruiter into the upper echelon. Yeah. We don't know what it's going to look like with him as a head coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. I mean, absolutely great DC 17 and a half feels too big. Even though Ohio state plays really well at home and they have a super potent offense. This just feels too big for me for a week one line against what I think is a competent program of Notre Dame. I'm going to take Notre Dame. here. I'm going to join you there. I, I like Ohio State. I don't know if they're like in juggernaut form yet, especially on defense, right? They're new coordinator, a lot of new stuff going on. So that would be a challenge, I think, for them to, to, you know, win by 18 points, which is a lot. That's a lot of points. But would I be shocked if they did that? No. This is a pick. You're certainly just taking Ohio State straight up and loving it, right? Is that a question mark, right? Yes. Yeah, of course. Oh, I'm not picking Notre Dame to win. That's for sure. <laughs> right. So that that yeah. even though it feels like a big number, it's not that far. Well, like, what would be the number you would actually pick it at? No, it's a, it's it's too big to bet on. I mean, they could be right, they could win, but that's a lot of points I think against a, a competent Notre Dame team. For sure. What would be the number that make you rethink that? Mm, how how much better? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen. I'd go. I'd go Ohio State. For sure. I think anything in. Under 10, I would certainly go Ohio Whoa, State. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think Ohio State will win by two touchdowns right at that number. Okay. That also could be much closer than that. But at 13, I think I would – home Ohio State, Ohio State is a very good team at home. I think that's, that's, that's part of what goes on here. Okay, on Sunday night, FSU versus LSU. 
Just a wacky matchup here. I love every bit of it. LSU favored by three. This is going to be the marquee game for both Florida State and LSU this season. They're undefeated. It's a Sunday night nationally televised game where there's no other football on. You got to love this if you're both of these programs. LSU is in a weird place right now. A lot of turnover, a lot of issues. This is a game, though, I think Brian Kelly has to win. It's not in Baton Rouge, but it is in Louisiana. They they should be further along than Florida State is. And I think Brian Kelly is a much better coach than Mike Norvell is. So I'm going to give the nod here to LSU. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't think FSU probably stands much of a chance here. I don't think LSU is going to be a juggernaut. I picked them to win seven games, but this feels like a game LSU should win. For all the things you mentioned, it's essentially a home game. And I don't know. I mean, weird things could happen week one, but you would think LSU's talent advantage would hold up here. And Brian Kelly is not, I mean, he's not maybe the world's greatest coach, but he's a very competent coach. So I think he will have this team ready to go. Okay, lastly, maybe the headliner for the whole weekend, considering that line is so high for Ohio State and Notre Dame. In terms of intrigue, you've got number 11 Oregon versus number 3 Georgia. Georgia favored by 17. And let's not forget that obviously Dan Lanning now on the sidelines for Oregon, the same Dan Lanning who is UGA's defensive coordinator, who I love, who also spent every year basically that Stetson Bennett was there watching him play and knowing what his weaknesses are and knowing exactly how to attack him and how he wants to approach him. So I think that makes this more intriguing than normal for me. But I also think it doesn't matter enough. Because ultimately, Georgia is just too talented for Oregon at this stage. Even though I do think that Dan Lanning's ability to coordinate the defense and the inside information he has towards what Georgia likes to do is probably worth as many as 10 points in this game. In a game opener, in a week one opener, I think it could be worth as many as 10 points in this situation. I just think Georgia's a lot better than Oregon. And this is the same Oregon team that got murdered by Utah twice last year, a team that could power run the football. And you better believe Georgia can power run the football. And I don't care how well you coordinate that. At some point, if your players just cannot stop a power running team, they just cannot stop a power running team. So I'm going to take Georgia here with the, with the 17 points. I mean, I think you're right. But I'm going to take Oregon here. I think they keep it a little close. I think Georgia has a few hiccups on the defense, right? They're they're oh yeah putting a lot of a lot new people, of new guys out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously super talented, but that Oregon maybe just enough to keep them within that number. Again, if that number was smaller, I, I think I would definitely take Georgia. It's That's a big tough. number. Like yeah. if Landing's not there, I'm confidently taking Georgia. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put a high level of of effectiveness on him being there and what he knows, especially because he has a returning quarterback in Stetson Bennett. All right, let's let's talk about Daytona Steve. Daytona Steve is back. If you want to <laughs> risk some money here because you know he's due to hit at some point in time, it is the scared money, don't make money parlay, which is a great name for both Billy Napier and for Daytona Steve's scenario here. He has NC State favored by 11 at East Carolina, which both you and I liked. He has Houston favored by four at UTSA. He has Ohio State and that big 17 and a half first Notre Dame. So you and I are not on that train, Alan. He has Louisville favored by four at Syracuse. And then he has Clemson favored by 21 at Georgia Tech. 
a game that we will pick next Monday because that is a Monday night game. So we'll save that one for next Monday's pod. Those odds are 24 to 1. But if you are like JT Raymond and you feel excellent about the Gators' chance of winning, you basically think it's a guarantee that they will win, then you can add Florida outright to beat Utah, increasing your odds to 56 to 1. Juicy. On that parlay, starting off your week one betting gloriously and putting some extra cash in your pocket for the rest of the season. All right, Alan, any other items before we shut this podcast down? I don't think so. This is a really fun week of college football. I love that we have some of these games here opening weekend. So hopefully you have a chance to just mainline a ton of college football ending with the Gators on Saturday night. Yes, as always, thanks so much for listening. Next week we will be here. We'll be back on Monday bringing you the analysis from the Utah game and then getting you ready for the Kentucky game, as well as reading off our illustrious list of patrons where we'll begin our march toward reading off everyone who has ever given us a dono. Thanks again to all of you for all of your support. It means the world to Alan and I. We love bringing you this content each and every week, and we certainly hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, go Gators. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.